Jason, uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, I'm thrilled to be able to connect with uh, uh, some some friends of mine from the past that are that are off doing some really amazing things. And, and really, whether it's uh, you know kind of working for themselves or being an advocate on behalf of other people, um, you know, I'm really excited to to highlight those stories. And uh, certainly, yours is one of them. And so, uh, uh, so welcome to the podcast, man. Well, thanks, man. It's great to be here. Good to see you and hear from you. Yeah, it's certainly, as we were just talking, it's been a long time since we've had some conversations. And uh, you you took a trip, uh, you were just saying, middle of, of, of college uh, to Alaska and uh, never came back to Massachusetts. And so I am dying to, you know, since we haven't talked in such a long time, just want to understand uh, what that journey was like for you. Because weren't you, didn't you go up there and working on a, uh, was it a pipeline at first? Was, uh, I don't know what brought you up to Alaska. So uh, honestly, I, it was just a visit one summer. Um, oh, no kidding. Yeah. So, so the story goes, um, uh, you know, I've always been, I can even remember back in Ulsh when there were new students that would come in. I was the guy that people would come to and be like, hey, can you take this person around and just mm -hmm. kind of give them an intro? And it, I didn't really think much of it at the time. Um, uh, and the same thing happened to me in college. Um, second year of college, uh, or no, I'm sorry, the second semester, first year, second semester, um, I came back in and one of the RAs on the floor was like, hey, there's this kid that just moved from Alaska um starting up second semester he's i think you guys would really get along can you just show him around campus and so on and so forth um yeah we became fast friends uh you know did a radio show there together um he so then um yeah 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 really really tight still one of my good friends to this day um so that so we met had you know had had good connections kind of this was back before i i had email i think email was around but we were doing letters <laughs> back and forth that summer you know stayed stayed in touch well i remember just being in college the big thing was like when my sister went to school uh we were freshmen and and when she graduated but like the big thing was this like portable laptop that she had to buy um, that was this huge kind of clunker for like two grand or something like that, you know, and, and, and Westfield state had this big computer lab where you would just kind of go and and do all your work. And so mm -hmm. I'm sure it's completely foreign to any, anyone who would ever think about, you know, maybe listening to a podcast right now that there was, that there was computer labs where you would have to go and do your work, but that's legitimately what, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> what yeah. it was. And I was such a Luddite man at, the, at that time in my life. I was just, you know, it took me years to start buying CDs and, you know, I'm just <laughs> yeah. like, like reluctant to the tech, technological, technological changes and stuff. What have you. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we kept in touch, uh, you know, uh, the, the next school year, of course, you know, hanging tough. Um, and then I decided I, you know, I'd always had this romantic vision of Alaska and what it's mm. like up there. And now I had a friend um, that was like, come on up, you can stay at my folks place. We'll find an apartment in town and get some work together. Um, so I came up and this was, I, we were having a hard time finding a job in town. I think we were. And where I, did I, you I go? And so when you, so when you went for the summer, where did you go? Oh yeah, sorry, Anchorage. 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 Okay. Alaska. Yeah. He, yeah. His, his family was from there, um, and I, you know, I had saved up some cash and um, was having a hard time finding work. And then there was sort of a friend of a friend um, said, "Hey, there's a." She was working at a lodge out in Bristol Bay, Alaska, um, and she's like, "Hey, there's this new, uh, uh, you know, fish processing company that's opening up, and they're looking for workers." And uh, there were about. I think there were about eight of us of, of Ted's friend group that went out. We we're like, screw it. We'll go work for four to six weeks and, and, you know, make a chunk yeah. of cash. And then I'll have the rest of the summer to kind of kick it around. Um, so we went out there and it was, it was really interesting experience and kind of, kind of, you know, peppered the, my experience for the fishing industry from there on out. Um, the, the group of fishermen had decided to kind of get together and um, make a, try and make a better go than what they were getting from the major processors out there. And so this guy that I ended up working for for years, I met him that first summer. Um, we were operating out of the garage that the city stores the school buses in. Um, I mean, it was like, wow. you know, f yeah, it was, it was like low budget, um, <laughs> yeah. shoestring budget. And, uh, 
but it was a success. Yeah. And, um, and so by the end of the summer, I was managing the shipping and case up department. Um, so I got a pretty hefty check at the end and I had like, I had the entire month of August to just kind of travel around Alaska with several thousand wow. dollars that I made. So then I was like, okay, well, here's how I help to offset my school costs. Yeah. Um, and I was a state, I was at Framingham state. So it wasn't yeah. like major, um, tuition dollars. Um, and so I was going to come back up uh, that summer, riding, I was going to ride uh, mountain bikes in Forest Park, got mm -hmm. hit by a car, um, dislocated my elbow and couldn't go back. Oh, no um, kidding. Yeah. So I was, I was, you know, I was in, oh, wow. in uh, back in, back in Massachusetts for a little yeah. while, um, but then ended up going back up a few years later to work for that same guy. He started a plant in Bristol Bay and I was employee number one. He had bought the property. Um, I had, there was some, I was working at American saw at the time and I had a falling out with management over the way they were treating my dad, who was an employee there at the time. Mm -hmm. I was like, screw it. I'm out. I'm going to, I'm leaving. Yeah. Um, got in touch with John, the guy that I worked for. And he said, Oh, I just bought this property in Bristol Bay. Why don't you go up? Uh, there's a bunch of roof work that needs to happen. And so I got a plane ticket and went to this town and, um, you know, he's like, there's a net mender, a fishing net mender nearby. Go check her out. There's this old hippie lady. She'll take care of you. And I was just a stranger in this town. I didn't, it was, it was a really bizarre experience, but. Um, but it's nice that like, I mean, obviously he was an amazing guy and it just kind of talks to like some of the people that if you were just like, go up there, they'll take care of you. That one, you felt comfortable enough that that was going to happen. But two, that he was genuinely, you know, saying that, yeah, these people are, will you know, are going to take care of you. You got nothing to worry about. And yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm absolutely met some amazing people in the fishing industry and in some of the communities that I worked in. And um, yeah, so that, that plant, that was um, 99 yeah. that he purchased that land. And then I moved down to Montana in Missoula. I lived in Missoula for the uh, Y2K deal. Um, which was a really interesting place to live in Montana. Um, there were a lot of folks, <laughs> a lot of preppers out there. Um, and then, uh, and then went back up and I worked at that plant for about seven years in management. Mm -hmm. uh, really, I learned a lot um, and, and got to do a lot of amazing stuff. I was, you know, I made, I made a decent amount of money. I'd work for, you know, the fishing season in Bristol Bay was pretty short, but we were building the facilities there. So I'd go up early and then at the, you know, at the end of the season, there's a bunch of hammering nails and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Um, and then I could do what I wanted for the winter. Um, so it was this really it's amazing wild. cycle of work where you bust your ass for the summer and then winter, I, you know, there was a year I bought a car and drove around the country couch surfing with friends. Um, then I started to go to, um, which is just a pretty cool experience to be able to have some of that flexibility to then just, you know, kind of spend some time for yourself. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I didn't finish college. Um, I feel like I might've been one of those people that would have benefited from a gap year. And so mm -hmm. instead of doing the gap year and finishing college, I just did go back to college. Um, I, I still look at, at, at maybe finishing that off one day. I, you know, from, from as long as I can yeah. remember, I always wanted to be a teacher. And mm -hmm. that's one of the few things that um, there's a barrier for me doing. I actually need that degree. Mm -hmm. uh, but I've been able to do a lot of interesting stuff. And, and the fishing industry taught me a lot of that. I would go to uh, Eastern Europe and Russia to recruit college students in the winter. Um, so I'd get these paid trips over there. And, and you know, I was like, it occurred to me on my second trip, I'm like, hey, they, they would book the tickets and all the hotels and stuff. And I would just go over and speak at universities and try and recruit students. It's a couple hundred to come over and work in Alaska for the summer. And I was like, my, my second trip over there, the last event we were doing was in Prague. And I was like, hey, can you just book my return ticket for like a week after? Like, yeah. <laughs> and, and they're like, yeah, I don't see any problem with that. Yeah. Like, if there's a difference in price, let me know and I'll pay for it. So I got these like paid trips over to Europe to kick it around in a city for a week or so afterwards. Um, so, which is what, know. which is fantastic. Cause there's nothing yeah. like that experience. Cause Europe is an amazing, you know, it's an amazing place to kind of experience because it's just such rich in history. And I was fortunate enough to have already made friends with some of these students that were my employees. So I'd go and I, you know, they'd show me around their town. It wasn't just, uh, you know, with the Fromers book or something like that, it was mm -hmm. kind of get a firsthand experience and, you know, 
take me to the cool bar that's off the beaten path that serves absinthe and that kind of shit yeah it was really that's neat. wild that's absolutely wild i'll never forget um i went to uh um ireland on a uh, on a trip once and there was just a small group of us and we we're kind of driving around and stopped at this little bar, which happened to be kind of like a little wine bar, but a lot of Americans kind of stopped there. We're sitting outside having some wine. And then all of a sudden these like group of American golfers kind of pull over and they're like, Hey, can we have a couple of drinks with you? And then there's a group of locals who were, you know, sitting next to us and they're like, Hey, you guys mind if we come over and join us? So the next thing you know, there was like, probably 10, 12 people all just kind of laughing and having a good time. Nobody knows each other. And it's just, it's, it's wild. The experiences that you get when, you know, you're not in the States. Cause that's something like that would never happen, you know, in the United States. <laughs> and it's just, it's, it's just such a different, you know, kind of cool experience. And, you know, we went out even afterwards, you know, after the bar closed, the golfers were just like, come back to the hotel, you know, the bar's there. And as we were leaving, this couple was just like, you know, we're too intoxicated. Can you drive us home? And I was just like, you don't know me from Adam, but you're going to trust that, you know, I'm going to drive you home and, and, and get you safe. And it was just, it's such a, it was such a, um, just a different level of perspective that, um, one, I would never do that, but then two, you know, that's <laughs> apparently, you know, something, you know, things like that happen. And, uh, so yeah, it just, it was wild. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so cool. And, and I feel very fortunate to have had the opportunity to do so much traveling because of, um, because of that work in the fish industry and um, really just opens up your perspective. I, I, I wish a lot more felt for not just, you know, in and out for a week at the resort, but experiencing that culture and that life mm -hmm. a little bit. I, you know, I was able to spend time in Japan and the Philippines and, uh, oh, wow. yeah. you know, that, that just getting to know people, there were other, uh, lots of other travel. Um, I was able yeah. you know, I did a trip to Everett's base camp, uh, one year in the Himalayas, you know, which is more of a personal thing. Um, but really, really fortunate. Did you, what, did you climb at all? Uh, no, we went to, uh, Kalapatar, which is the, the sort of the, the, the big peak next to it, which you get a really nice view. Um, but I was not, I'm not a, I'm not a mountain climber. Um, I don't know me either, but that was, I almost didn't make it the last trip. We were at the final tea house on the way up and I got altitude sickness. Um, oh, did you? And just, yeah, I was so violently ill the night before. I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to make it for that like final leg. And I thankfully woke up the next morning and feeling really great, but I was mm. frustrated because I was the, I was with two other friends and I was the guy that like, I'm a crack of dawn guy. I wake up no matter what, even if I go to bed at three, I'm up at six. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I was up early and I was really making an effort to get out and do shorter hikes on our days off to acclimatize myself. And I was the one that got sick. And I was then, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll wound up, you know, fine in the end. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the fish industry, man, I, it's funny because I, I often think back to, there's a Simpsons episode, right? Where the kids get this like, they, they take these assessment tests for what they're going to be when they grow up. And so like they're meeting with, um, uh, uh, principal Skinner mm -hmm. and is like, you know, shows him and, and then it shows Lisa and she's like, Oh, vice, you know, president of the United States, or and it shows all these people and it like, uh, character and then Skinner and, and then it gets to Ralphie and he goes, Sam and Cutter. And then it just cuts off right there. It's like, <laughs> Ooh, Ooh, that hurt, you know? Um, <laughs> And even, you know, even just explaining to my mom, you know, like I'm in the fishing industry, just, just kind of, she didn't really think much of it because most people think of the slime line and everything, but yeah, sure. you know, I was making really, really amazing wages. The experiences I had were, were fantastic. And I still use a lot of that today. Um, cool. That kind of like was based out of a, a bus garage. Um, at first we had this, you know, there's the, the Toyota lean model of, mm -hmm. of continuous improvement and always self-assessing and stuff like that. I didn't know what that meant, but that's something that we were doing with this management on a regular basis. Um, we were always growing. And so we were always in the winter napkin drawings of like, well, here's how we could redesign the line. We, um, you know, we did things in that community that people didn't think we we're going to be able to do. We were at a really hard spot on the river um, where you couldn't actually have a dock. 
So we built this floating dock um, with old, you know, those those big uh, 50 gallon uh, yeah, plastic yeah. soda barrels. And they were they were uh, two sheets long. So they were 16 feet long and a bunch of the floats. And we would we would anchor a, a boat out there, have a floating dock, go to it and run a fish pump all the way up to our plant. Um, nobody in the community thought we were going to be able to pull it off. And, you know, I worked with some amazing, amazing individuals that really, really taught me so much. And uh, I, I, yeah, I can't tell well, you how much it goes back to like, you know, where there's a will, there's a way, right? Like, okay, we're going to make this work. You know, there's the capabilities. It's just a matter of finding something until it does work. Yeah. And, and I, you know, there were a lot of great people that um, are, were really big on, you know, you bringing up the person behind you and they gave me a lot of opportunity and put a lot of trust in me. And uh, I, I grew so much in that, yeah. industry, you know, over those years, um, I still might be in it had it not been for the fact that in uh, 2017, I, or 2007, I had a, a son. Um, so that was kind of the impetus to, to stick a little closer to home. And I still did some fishing industry stuff. I, I, I did sales and logistics for a company based out of Anchorage. And then uh, mm -hmm. just started to get a little frustrated with that, um, well, with where they were at in the industry and um, almost moved to Tanzania um, to resurrect a fish processing plant on Lake Victoria. Um, no I went over, yeah, I went over for six weeks. My friend and I um, <clears throat> traveled around and did you know, a lot of like due diligence work and seeing if this was going to work out and wound up not being the best um, opportunity, you know, things had changed from when the opportunity yeah. began. And, um, and so then when I came home, I just uh, was looking through the paper and found an uh, opening at the Food Bank of Alaska. And that was really what set me on another big change in my life um, mm -hmm. to taking the skills that I had learned um, up until that point and using them for uh for good, I, I guess, for, you know, not making into, not making the company owners in the fishing industry rich anymore, but doing this to help out, help the community. Yeah. And, and, you know, kind of, you could probably say, I mean, obviously both industries are certainly helping the community, right? Like you're employing people, you know, in, in, in all of these things, but certainly the food bank is, uh, is one that, uh, just touches a little deeper because when you see people in need and then, you know, you're able to kind of help them in a certain way, it certainly has an impact, right? Like, I mean, just giving to others without any kind of thought of any reciprocation, you know, even though it's a job, I mean, it still has those feelings about, uh, you know, just what you're doing for individuals. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to totally bag on the companies I work for, but but it's impacted oh, the community in a different way, absolutely. And um, and it it utilized. You know, my entry point was um, they had posted a job for the warehouse manager, and I, you know, I was like, I got this. You know, shipping logistics. I've driven a forklift for fifteen years. You know, I I really I I felt pretty confident in that, and went through the interview process, and they were they were actually having a falling out with the board and the managers of the, with the director of operations mm -hmm. and asked me if I would sit tight and maybe um, consider taking on that position. And quite frankly, had I seen that position uh, in the newspaper as an ad, I'd have been like, ah, director of operations. I don't, I don't know that I'm there yet. Um, and so I just mm -hmm. kind of fell into it and using the strengths that I had from all the kind of like, you know, my, my shipping and logistics and warehouse work in the past, lent itself to a certain aspect of that job but then there was this other part of you know being uh being a director at this statewide organization and um you know looking at programming and, and directing you know sort of uh, multi-year plans for operations and stuff like that and, and it really um opened up this whole new world to me i started to get more involved with advocacy in that respect yeah and, yeah um, you know it was in it in it it really kind of scratched two itches for me um, as far as things that I care about. And that's uh, helping others with getting, getting food to people that needed it. But there's this other um, aspect of food banking, which is food rescue and, and not letting food go mm. to waste in the landfills and just turning into methane. So it's oh, yeah. it had this dual purpose, this environmental front and, you know, not wasting all the time and effort and energy and packaging that went into this food to just see it go to the dump. Um, so that would, that meant, you know, reaching out to stores here that 
that might not understand what a food bank does and might think, you know, we still had stores around the state that were like, well, if I give old food to you, people aren't going to come to my company to buy food. And it just was like, kind of like dispelling these rumors of people like, no, man, that's not the case. That is not how it works. (laughs) Right. So, um, yeah, yeah, that was a, that was a really, really amazing time. Um, and I learned so much and I still really care about that mission. Um, but, uh, you know, some other opportunities came up and that's where I found myself in the world that I am today with uh, NAMI Anchorage. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I mean, as far as, you know, I, what I've never been to Alaska, you know, I, I see pictures and stuff all the time and you, you, you kind of hear it. And so certainly coming from Massachusetts, I would imagine that, it's it's uh, it's a whole nother world right i mean just the the beauty and kind of being outdoor like was it was the location a draw at all or was it just kind of the people and atmosphere what what was it that was you know obviously attractive i mean obviously employment and all of that other stuff but i would imagine that there had to been something else that was just like this feels good and it feels like you know, someplace that I could call home. Yeah. Um, I mean, certainly the natural beauty, um, uh, it, incomparable, um, mm. really to I, probably there's a town of Yakutat I worked out of in the fishing industry for a couple of years in Southeast Alaska, which might be one of the most beautiful places I've ever been in my life. Mm. Uh, you're talking 17,000 foot peaks out of sea level. Um, and there happens to be a really, really classic point break there. And so I learned how to surf in Alaska in these waters where there's, you know, scoter ducks and seals going by and <laughs> snow-capped mountains in the background. And you're in this like, you know, massive, like really, really thick wetsuit um, to, to stay yeah. warm with the hoodie and the gloves and everything. But um, certainly the land, um, mm. it, it was yeah. a big aspect of it. My, my first years, I would spend, we'd spend a lot of time after the fishing season, um, just cruising around the state and camping and visiting different places. Um, so that was probably appeal number one. Um, then a lot of the people that I met and then a lot of the opportunity. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, like I said, I, I kind of, I, I, I tripped into this fishing industry gig by just running out of money that first year and sort of working my way up. And then, and then that turned into when we were doing the construction work, say, um, you know, I'm learning how to drive big machinery. I'm riding front end loaders, something that in Massachusetts, you'd have need to go to school and have the proper you know, <laughs> licensing for. And they're just like, yeah, here's the, you know, this is the hydraulics on this part and just go do this. This lever does this, this lever does that. You should be fine. Yeah. So living out my, you know, those Tonka dreams. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's, you know, it challenged me in, in a number of ways. Right. So uh, all the construction work I found really, really fascinating. Um, I was disillusioned with academia after a while and wanting mm-hmm. to look at other things, um, you know. And I, I think that it also goes to a, a point, right? Like <clears throat> academia doesn't have to be the only way that we learn, you know. And so while it, it, I, I'm certainly a, an advocate for degrees and people getting degrees because I think that it also breeds opportunity um, and, and gives you choices, uh, if you find a path that does the same thing and allows you to learn and grow um, that suits you a little bit better, then as long as you're still learning and growing and moving and doing those things, then it's not a wrong path, right? It's just it's a different one. Absolutely. I, I mean, I would agree with that 100%, um, mostly because that's been, you know, <laughs> my life. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't have anything against degrees and I have a lot of respect for it, but, but, you know, in, in my case, it just felt like, um, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't the formal recognition of a completed education that I needed at that time. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like if, if you can always mean remain in that growth mindset and open to things, I mean, you know, I'm an autodidact. I, it's a weird word and I don't want it to sound pretentious, but I'm always reading new things and I'm curious about things. And so that's opened up different opportunities for me and just kind of keeps things interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think we should always be trying to grow and that shouldn't end at college. Um, it shouldn't mm-hmm. end with, uh, with that degree. And we can learn in all sorts of different ways and from all sorts of different people. And, um, and my life is somewhat proof of that. 
Um, I don't know to what degree I'm successful in it, but um, but I pay the bills and have a great family and all that jazz. So uh, it's it's a success as far as I'm concerned. Well, uh, that's it, right? And 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 the great thing is is that you get to define your success and nobody else. Yep. And so regardless of what anybody else may see. This is, this is the success that you want out of life. And this is the success that you are achieving and you're moving yourself in different directions because of different growth and different things that you want for yourself and, and not living a life that somebody else thinks that you should live. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's power in that, right? I mean, yeah. true yeah. power in that. And, and Alaska is, is, uh, <clears throat> less less the case than it was probably 50 years ago but it really is the kind of place that allows for that opportunity for people to come up and live different lives um mm. like i said it's changed it's changed a bit but um but like i said where else was i gonna i mean i i learned how to weld uh i learned how to drive all this big machinery i had to go to school for that stuff <laughs> so you know that's just one small yeah. example of, of that um but you know it's when I, as I was thinking about coming on this and, and talking with you, I mean, that was one of the things, um, you know, we talked briefly um, before we hopped on this about just sort of my apprehensions about um, when I was thinking of, of my life with purpose as opposed to when I think about uh, somebody like a marathon runner or something like that. But, but I, I've tried to live my life with an openness um, to new things and experiences. And, um, and I think that that's, that's one of the things I wanted to ask you about, because in, in one of your earlier conversations, you know, I kind of got the impression from you that it was the same thing. College didn't work out well, maybe the first time around and things like that. And just kind of oh, yeah. like, yeah, I, uh, I, I took, uh, well, especially for me, you know, dad died senior year of high school and I was just in kind of this numb existence, you know, and, and I didn't really know anything for myself or what I wanted or anything like that. And so, um, you know, originally I wanted to play football in college and then that wasn't going to happen. And then, so I went to HCC and I remember the first day that I was there, I was just like, this is not for me. And uh, I have no interest in being here. And I came home and I told my mom that, and uh, I'm sure she was devastated. Like, I can't even imagine, you know, those thoughts that probably were going through her head. Um, but she said, okay, well, you can go. And I was working at Friendlies at the time. So I was loading trucks at Friendlies and they, and I, that was my summer job. And, and they hired me on full time. And, uh, but my mom said, if you're, I was going to live there, I had to at least take one class a semester. So it kept me in school. And uh, I was grateful uh -huh. for that because after two years of loading trucks at Friendlies, I realized that this was not what, my intention was for the rest of my life. And I was like, okay. So I decided that I was it's like, okay, let me go start looking at applying for jobs. And then I was just like, I, I can't do anything right now without this degree. So that got me to go back to school. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, even then I went to HCC for, you know, for a year. Then I went to Westfield state. I was 21 by the time I got to Westfield state and guess what? I had a great time and I failed out. <clears throat> and, you know, it's just one of those stories where I was just like, well, I'll be damned. I just worked my ass off to get here. And if I'm not going to go to school, it's because of me, not because of anybody else. Mm -hmm. And so I got back into Westfield State and my last semester, I needed to take seven classes and uh, in order to walk. And I decided that I was going to do that. And then I also told myself that I was going to make Dean's List. And uh, I did. And so that was one of those journeys where I first realized that I had some of this kind of power within myself to, to say, I'm not this person, I'm this person, mm -hmm. and then go out and prove myself that I was that person. Um, I didn't realize that till much, much later, but that was, you know, kind of one of those first examples. And so, yeah, so I had a roller coaster ride. It wasn't for me. I didn't like it. Even through regular school, I didn't have the attention span to sit down there and just, you know, I was always antsy, like I couldn't sit in my seat. And, um, but yeah. And so, so yeah, I think that we all have a different journey, a different path. And, and, you know, and, and, and I think that that's the fun thing about it is, is understanding kind of where it can move you and what you can do with it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, 
school was in, it was an interesting one for me too and i remember you know it's at, at much respect to your mom for saying if you're going to continue to live here you got to take a class i think that's, that's amazing i know well, my mom looking back I, I was so glad that she did because then getting back into school was just it was a little easier because i already had some classes down yep yep i know my mom said when i when i had said that i was going to be leaving school um you know i had a i had a crap semester um you know uh i was I did a lot in, in college. And so I learned a lot, um, but I didn't, my grades didn't reflect it. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I was the general manager of the radio station. I worked at the library in a record store. I was, I petitioned student government to get a subcarrier on the radio station to, to have a reading service for the blind that would be carried on there. So I was doing all this stuff, but I didn't want to do my math homework. And so my grades, <laughs> um, so so yeah, so I took a semester off. I, I when I when I went home, I was working at American Saw and I was going to stick and yeah. got good grades at stick and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna give it another shot. And I went back and say I just fell into the same groove, social life, doing all this mm -hmm. other stuff. Um and and needed to leave. because uh, it was it, I was just kind of burning money at that point. And I remember mm -hmm. my mom was like, if you leave now, it's gonna be really, really hard to get back into school. I was like, mom, don't worry. I'm gonna go check this stuff out in Alaska. I'll get back to it. You know, was, I, she was right. I mean, it's- uh, Yeah, but you know yeah. what? Now, now it's so crazy. Like you can get back into like Southern New Hampshire and finish your online degree and, you know, still have an amazing experience, but now as an adult learner, there's going to be obviously, you know, more that comes from it. And so, you know, yeah, I, I, I don't, it's never too late, you know, and that's the fun thing about all of it is, is that, uh, uh, you know, it's just like, okay, well, if I want to go finish and I'm sure even now, some of the, a lot of those classes will still, you know, carry over to agree. I'm sure you wouldn't have to like start all over. Yeah. And there's, we actually have a university up here. That's really good about giving credit for, um, lived experience. So, you know, I want to be a teacher. Well, I've been for five sessions now, I've been working on uh, with high school youth on the storytelling project or, you know, um, I, uh, there, there's a lot that I think that of my, my experience over the last 10 years that I can translate into credits at the degree level. So, yeah, yeah. so it's, it's, it's something I'm looking at. Um, but, you know, I have, uh, I have two kids. I have a 20 year old daughter and a, and a 14 year old boy, and I got to worry about their schooling too. Yeah. No kidding. Which, which, which might even be, you know, like there's a lot of Kathy's working at WNE. She's going back for her degree and it allowed for Nick to get his uh, bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering for, for just about no cost. Gosh, that's uh, awesome. <laughs> you know, and uh, he came out, uh, got a job. He's been doing some great things. And so, yeah, it's, and so your, your daughter, uh, just uh, speaking to doing some great things, just put a record out on Spotify, right? Like, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, she's awesome. She's, um, she's been singing for a long time now, though, right? Yeah, we, yeah. we started to take her, I mean, she always just had it in her bones. Um, and we, she was 11 years old when we first took her to an open mic at a bar here called the Taproot that um, uh, is no longer with us, but it was a really popular uh, open mic. And there was, it was a pretty hefty crowd the first night. There was probably 60 to 70 people in there drinking, right? All this stuff. We would get her on early. Um, so we'd get her back uh, in bed in time yeah. like that. And, and you couldn't be in there because it was a bar, you couldn't be in after a certain hour. So she starts singing a Taylor Swift song and I have this video of it, it gives me the goosebumps every time because you hear all the background chatter in the bar just slowly die down to where it's Ooh. nothing. And it's just this 11 year old girl with her cheap little keyboard and her big clunky oversized shoes awkwardly on the stool, like not knowing what to do with her feet and everything, just absolutely killing it, silenced the bar. Um, it really, wow. yeah, and she, talented but also the confidence to get up and do that um, well for real like you know i can speak to anyone one-on-one -on -one. like i'm fine with any you know but the first time i did like a ted talk at at uh at uh, hanover insurance with a group of uh, hr people like the sweat that ran down my back like i could feel it as it was like dripping down my back you know now i've gotten used to it but at 11 that's wild to just not have that fear or just that confidence that i'm going to go up and do this yep yep yeah she's she's a she's an awesome kid um 
very, very proud stepdad for sure. Well, and I would imagine that like, you know, just even having the background that you have allows for you to be this parent that allows you to kind of say, hey, let's explore this. Let's, you know, like you've had a lot of different experience. So allowing your kids to kind of maybe move in their own direction, kind of the way that, you know, I, I think that it allows for um, a great way to explore kind of who we are and what we like and, and, and kind of all of the good stuff about us, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, definitely, um, you know, my son, I think is finally getting there with the music stuff, but um, really just encouraging their interest. I mean, so, you know, as long as if you can encourage the, the kids interest, they're going to teach themselves, right. It becomes self-directed learning in some respect and mm -hmm. um, just kind of makes for a better, I don't I, I couldn't imagine wanting to parent any other way. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But with all of um, certainly it, you know, it helped to some degree that I'm in the local music scene up here um, somewhat. And um so we, we definitely had some connections and I knew, you know, how to get her on yeah. the, the list early, but, um, but even that, I mean, I didn't play, I didn't play music in high school. I, I bought a drum kit when I was 30 years old and self-taught with some friends to start a band up here in the winters because you and Dave could have, so could have been doing that long, you know, a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, I'll say Dave gave me my unofficial first drum lesson uh, in Did his it? basement one night. Yeah. When it was like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. There were a few people over there, you know, doing, uh, drinking cheap beers, uh, some night and yeah, yeah showed me the, the, the basic beat on the kit. <laughs> um, and so, so credit to Rosso or credits to you. Yeah. Um, he's still playing. I think he's, you know, he's always posting pictures of uh, new drums and stuff like that. Yeah. It's yep, fun. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, it's, it's, uh, I wouldn't call myself a professional musician, but there was a year, year and a half there where I had a monthly gig. I was, I was getting money. Yeah. I don't, I'm not trained. I don't know how to read anything. It's all self-taught. So I have a, a apprehension of calling myself a musician or anything like that, but I gotcha. it's been, um, it's, it's a really important catharsis for me mm -hmm. um, playing music. And there've been times when I haven't had a band or we haven't practiced in a while where my, my wife would be like, you know, honey, you should, uh, you should figure out someone to play some music with. They could really use that, that outlet. Well, you know, just like everything else, right. We all need these things, these, these places that we can kind of go to that allows us to take some time for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, certainly with, with, with COVID and everything that happened last year, most people found out is that if they didn't have any sort of form of self-care, you know, that was that was highly amplified last year and mm -hmm. you know the need to be able to take care of yourself and and then give to others which is really why for me it was such a huge eye-opening kind of thought process because I was always about other people but then what I realized that I was never really taking care of myself I never really understood what drove me, what excited me, all of these things, because I was always trying to please other people and be their version of me, you know? Mm -hmm. But then when you start focusing on yourself and doing things that light your fire, that give you excitement, that give you energy, um, even though you're busier than sometimes just sitting on a couch doing nothing, you have a lot more energy because you're doing something for yourself that gives you, you know, whatever it is it's given you. And so, you know, I looked back and I was taking care of mom and I gave her a hundred percent, but I was not a hundred percent. I wasn't taking care of myself. I wasn't in a good space. And so that's when I realized that, Hey, I need to take care of me so that I can take care of everybody else. Yep. Yep. Yeah. We like to use the analogy of the um, <clears throat> oxygen mast on the airplane here. When we talk to family members about helping their loved ones, it's like, yes, you got to take care of yourself first. And that doesn't mean you're denying your loved one this is to help them out in the long run. And, you know, kind of to the point of what you were just saying about, you know, finding something that, that invigorates you and, and, and as opposed to just sitting on the couch, filling yourself back up is, doesn't mean just not doing anything. Right? <laughs> yeah. 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 Like when your battery's low laying on the couch does not necessarily bring that back up to a hundred. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, it might seem a little counterintuitive, like, well, I'm tired. I just need rest, but no, you need these other things to, to fill you on another it's not just 
physical rest you need. You need to, it, to be invigorated mm -hmm. spiritually or emotionally in other ways. And so these other activities can really, really help with that. And some of them do, you know, some of them will do both, right? So uh, people that, that run and have running groups, there's this social aspect of it. There's the physical aspect of it. There's being outside. Um, yeah, it's, I was talking to, more than just rest. I was talking to a mom that I, you know, that I used to work out with quite a bit. Um, and she's a, uh, she's a, uh, uh, professor, um, at UConn in pharmacy and she's got two little girls <clears throat> during COVID. She was like, I stopped and I just went into, you know, take care of my family. And when she realized that her kids were getting a little bad, she's like, all right, let's go out and you guys just go ride your bike and I'll run behind you. <clears throat> and that's just, it's one of those things where we can do things for kids. We can do things for other people and still do something for ourselves. Like these events don't have to be mutually exclusive. You can give your kids education by helping them learn something while maybe learning together, right? Like maybe you have an interest in woodworking and you know you want to spend time with you know uh, one of your children. Well, why don't you learn woodworking together? If they don't have an interest, fine. But if you do, then you can continue with it. But if they do, then great. Now you're doing something together and you know you're teaching them how to relieve their stress, how to have healthy habits for themselves. And so it's just, it's such a win-win you know, thing for, for you to just focus on taking care of yourself because, you know, who's ever watching sees that and then understands what they need to potentially do for themselves. Yeah. You know, I, while we're on the, the subject of kind of like the self-care aspect of it, I, I, I was curious because I wanted to, I guess, turn, turn the mic on you yeah, and ask yeah. a question of you um, <clears throat> regarding journaling. So um, it's not something I've done, but one of my Ever since college, one of the people that I look to as a, as somewhat of a hero um, is Marcus Aurelius, who is famous. You know, most famous thing is Meditations, which was basically his journal slash diary. And you know, he's like the most powerful man in the world at that point in time. And when you read through his Meditations, he's trying to figure out how to. You know, some of it's really like great maxims and then other of is like how do i navigate telling my friend that they have body odor and it's really difficult or you know it's like most powerful man in the world also dealing with these like minor things mm -hmm. in relationships with people and so um like i said I, that's a big part of stoicism um journaling and reflecting and stuff like that and i was i was just kind of curious how you got into it um because it's had a really amazing effect on your life and i was open to hear a little bit about that yeah thanks for asking that jason that's amazing um so for me, so after mom passed and I, I was just looking for something, um, I had always heard about journaling and how powerful it is. But every time I opened up a journal, I didn't know what to do with it. I just stared at these blank pages and I was just like, I don't know. I, I got nothing. Um, but then I would slowly start to think about, okay, well, <clears throat> I was a recruiter at the time. So it was like, what do I need to do um, as far as like for recruiting wise? And I would, I would be like, okay, I've got all these new projects. What do I want to do? What's going to make a successful week for myself? Mm -hmm. And so I would just start to kind of put down all of these things like, okay, I needed to get, you know, candidates. I don't know how, but I'm going to get candidates by the end of the week for this position and, and all of these different things. And then I started to kind of see some things kind of move in different directions. And then I also was in this place of, I lost my identity. I was taking care of mom for six years. And in that meantime, you know, I found, you know, Kathy and that amazing relationship. And then Nick came into my world and now I had a stepson and I had this family and it was fantastic, but I was still mom's caregiver. Like that was... And at that time was the highest priority at that because it was, you know, she was dying and I knew that and I knew she only had limited time, but I wanted to give her, you know, kind of as much comfort that she gave me when, you know, when she was raising, a, you know, me. Um, but after that, I was lost. I just, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I wanted for myself. I didn't really have any 
purpose or passion. It was just kind of existing. And so having lost my dad at an early age, I was 17, he was 45. And then here I was 40 and my mom was 66 and I lost her. I, I was about to turn 41 and it was just like, well, what have I done with my life and what do I want to do with my life? And so I was starting to ask these questions for myself. And then I would think about things that would make the hair in the back of my neck stand up. But then I was like, what do I do with this information? So I would write it down and then I would figure something. So it started to kind of roll into, it started off like this weekly accountability worksheet where I would, you know, just think about what I wanted to do. And then I would evaluate, well, how did I do that? Did I do a good job this week? And then it morphed into all of these crazy things where I was starting to set these goals. And then I was figuring out my action plans. And then I understood, I finally understood having to have like a why behind everything that I wanted to do. And I figured that out because I was going, I, I decided I was going to run a half marathon and um, I was never a marathon type of guy. Like, I mean, you know, running a mile was like, absolutely not, but I would have to do it anyway, you know, for football and stuff like that. But, you know, it, it allowed me to say, okay, I'm going to run this amount of time this week and then not let any excuse kind of come into play. And so I was starting to kind of give myself all of this different, like, thoughts and energy. And exactly like I was starting to, to write down, well, who do I want to be? Who do I want to be as a, as a husband? Who do I want to be as a stepdad? Who do I want to be as an employee? Who do I want to be as a brother, as an uncle, as to all of these different things. And so it allowed me to really focus on more and more stuff. I could focus on work. I could focus on my priorities. I could focus on myself because I was giving myself this little blueprint for success because I was writing down, all right, if I do this this week, this is going to make a successful week. And then you reflect and you say, yeah, like I did everything that I wanted to, or no, I still have some gas left. I could have done something else. And I started to just hold myself accountable. I started to just, you know, be grateful every day. And I would, I start each day with some gratitude uh, of thinking some different that uh, of, of spe specific things that I'm grateful for that day or the day before. Um, I celebrate some wins. And so journaling really took on this amazing kind of piece that gave me a blueprint for success to say that if I follow everything that I put down in this journal, then it's never a matter of if, it's only a matter of when. And to get into that mindset and to have that it, because you gave it to yourself, it feels like you can conquer the world. And um, yeah, like it, 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 it's a truly powerful, powerful thing to just sit down and journal. Um, and it's wild, Jason, I will tell you that I've had a few people, um, more than a few, but one just in particular that I just was working with a guy, you know, <clears throat> this journal came out of all of my thoughts because of the journey that I took with mom and taking care of her. It's named K journal after her, cause her nickname was K to, to, to move myself in a direction to then be able to coach other people out of the same process, giving them, you know, this experience, but then to have them say that, uh, that this will be a process that they use for the rest of their lives is, um, it's wild. It's pretty surreal. Uh, sometimes I don't know how I got here. Um, but journaling is so powerful because it's just you, you know, I don't hand my journal to anybody. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not being graded on any of this. This is just my thoughts and what I want out of life and how hard am I willing to work? Yeah. I mean, it sounds like it's um, like, it's a space to both dream and hold yourself accountable. And 100%. And that's like, that's the, that's the needed combo there. Um, Cause I know that, you know, you can easily do the dream and, and not follow through. And, and I've even, you know, to take it off of the personal, but more look at things from like an organizational standpoint, I've gone through a number of strategic planning 
um, weekends or events or whatever with different organizations. And the one we started working with somebody up here that um, it was it was a two parter. It was not just it was getting everybody together. You go to your mission, your vision, you set your priorities, but then it was a follow up. Okay, you you said these are your priorities. How the heck are you going to do it? Mm -hmm. And actually going through and as a team listing out, okay, well, we say we want to do this. We need to do X, Y, and Z to get there. Okay, great. Who is owning X? Who's owning Z? And really just taking it from just the visioning standpoint, which it would do a lot of strategic planning is, and everyone's like, oh, great. We got to just, you know, these are great ideas, but there's no plan. And then really creating more of a formal plan and, and built in mm -hmm. accountability and people taking on that and having their name. So it's not just organization-wide. It's like, no, you're the point person on this, Jason, mm -hmm. or you, you know? So um, yeah, that that I, that was such a more effective way to go about strategic planning. And then in your, your journal is doing the same thing, right? It's that, what do I want? What are the goals? But also, you know, that, that checkup and checking in to make sure you're- Well, and it is, and there's a, so even in the thing I put in there, this like, there's this little kind of, uh, um, uh, just kind of like almost like calendar. So <clears throat> if these are the goals that you want to do, what are the activities that you have to do on a daily, you know, weekly basis mm -hmm. that allows for those things to happen? So just saying that, cause it, it just, uh, for me, it kind of came down to, I want to be as healthy as I can be for as long as I can be. And that has taken on such a different version of who I am now versus where I was before. Now um, I do a lot of fasting. I eat a lot of plant-based stuff. Uh, I don't eat much meat at all. Um, and, you know, I'm also doing things that I never once thought I could do, meaning I rode for two and a half marathons. Like never in my wildest dreams, if you ever asked me what I ever considered myself an endurance athlete, I would have laughed at you. Like that was never, you know, in my vocabulary. Um, but now to have that in my vocabulary is pretty wild. And, um, and I know that I'm the only one that gets to determine if I want something that I know, okay, the work that it's going to have to do in order to get in there, is it realistic? Can I do it? And if so, then let's go get it. Um, you know, and so it's, uh, it's, I've proven myself through a lot of different things. And I, and the journaling has helped because what happens is that when we keep everything in our head, you know, there's always this version of who we want to be. There's always these things that are just like, oh, if I just had a little bit more time, I would love to do this. And I guarantee anybody that's listening out there, if they think if I just had a little bit more time that I can find time in your week to, to, to allow for those things to happen, because that's really all that it is. It's what are your priorities? And then let's set your goals around those priorities. Yeah. And that's important. I, 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 I'm not so formal as, as journaling, which maybe I should consider, um, <laughs> but I, it, it is, for, I mean, constant, um, and this is more work related, but yeah, it's always kind of um, assessing those priorities. And I have that problem of being um, I don't, a yes man, but I don't, not in the negative, mm. like I have a hard time saying no to cool opportunities and projects and things that have come up. And so I'm at this point where I'm spread pretty thin. I, I don't have staff in my office right now. And so looking to hire back up, but you know, I just, Mm -hmm. So many things have come up and I'm like, that is an amazing idea. I want to be a part of it. Yes, let's make this happen. But I, I need and to then the balance be aware like... of my capacity. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I want to do more. I mean, that's that, that's part and parcel with that, uh, trying to always remain interested in things and learning new things. And, um, you know, much like you, this it has over the last couple of years, I found myself in a position that I didn't think I would be in. I'm, I'm on the governing body of our statewide psychiatric institute. Yeah. I'm a college dropout that spent 17 years in the fishing industry. Um, I'm on, you know, I'm sitting across the table from our chief medical officer and all these, you know, doctors and everything. It was super, super intimidating mm -hmm. uh, those first few weeks. But um, I've, I've worked myself in. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm starting an ethics committee on that board. There's interesting work happening. I've, I've got respect to colleagues, but I was really, really nervous. But at the same time, I was like, 
well, one, this is a really interesting opportunity and it's an opportunity to help the community out as an advocate for people with mental health um, issues mm-hmm. and mental illness. And, um, and I, I, I do in my heart feel like a lot of times boards don't have enough regular people on them for a perspective. And I'm, so I'm on as a, as a family member and a loved one of people with mental illness, but, um, but that was like, uh, like, okay, I'm going to do this, even though I'm scared mm-hmm. as hell. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I had a pee before going into that first meeting. Um, <laughs> of course. Those, yeah. Like, it was like, um, you're so nervous. You're like building stuff up. It's yeah, it's, it's, yep. uh, it's, it's well, and that's a, you know, sometimes it's just tough to see ourselves in different capacities, right? Like, you know, a lot of times, other people have influenced, you know, who we should be or, or, or our versions of ourselves. And unless you are, you're defining these, then, then yeah, you can easily let other people's thoughts or, you know, something that might seem overwhelming kind of get the best of you and not necessarily take an opportunity that could be yours. It could be, you know, amazing. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, and more often than not, they're not other people's thoughts. They're what you think other people's, people's thoughts, thoughts are. are. <laughs> exactly. 100%. We're assuming somebody thinks of us in a certain capacity and we act accordingly. Yep. Yep. It is, uh, you know, and, and, and for me, journaling also helps. I think that, you know, you're talking just with mental health. I think that we all have varying levels of needs as far as our mental health and our mental our mental wellness really you know um and you know i learned very early on in life that i can make myself sick if i didn't want to do something like football practice or something along those lines or that i could go off and achieve you know something like dean's list because of my thoughts and uh, when I sat down and started journaling, I'd realized that, so I'm a pretty empathetic individual. And so I have highs and lows and my lows, sometimes I feel really horrible about myself, even though I do this, like, and I think that I can conquer the world. I, there are days that I, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. And this gives me an avenue to remind myself of all of the good stuff that that maybe somebody said, because there's a spot that says, what are your wins for the week? You know, what do you feel good about? And so when you have this place that you can, that you can remind yourself that you can sometimes pull yourself out of a bad place. um, You know, it's really, it's, uh, it's, it's, again, our mind is is a very, very powerful thing. I have, uh, um, I have a sign up here that says, whether you think you can, or you think you can't, you're right. And so, uh, (laughs) so yeah Yeah, so that's 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 really why you know even the journaling side because it can really help you just even in some bad places too Mm -hmm. yeah it creates you know mindfulness and intention in in how you go about things and that's a um i think um you almost have to create some some habits sometimes to help with that right again you can Mm -hmm. intellectualize being mindful or um or or something like that but um, by, by having a process such as yourself, you, you're, you're getting, I think it's just establishing that mindset a little bit more mm-hmm. and, um, and taking that time to reflect is really, really huge. So, um, yeah, it's, I thank you for sharing a, a bit about that, uh, and, and about how you came to it. Cause, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by your, your journaling and, um, and in the process, I like it. I said, yeah, like I said, it's, uh, um, uh, my interest goes back to Marcus Aurelius. <laughs> and, uh, well, and that's you know, it, you know, and it really, and it's in, in, you know, I finally through COVID, I, you know, found a place to be able to sit down and meditate every morning. And, and again, I think that we all need that break, you know, even with COVID, all of the distraction, all of the different stuff that's happens, you know, there's lots of distractions that come in life, but we have to sometimes, you know, take this break you know, eliminate all of these things and, and, and get calm, you know, and focused and then forge through because you're always going to be in adversity, right? Like no one's ever going to escape adversity. There's always going to be something that happens to each and every one of us. Nothing ever goes smooth. Nothing ever is a straight line. And so you have to learn how to navigate all that stuff, the best way that you can potentially do that. And so, I think journaling gives you a way to be able to 
um, to do that in a more efficient and more purposeful way than than most people, you know, typically have that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's. I mean, you mentioned meditation, right? That's a that's a practice as well, <clears throat> and um, and it's a hard one. I, I'll admit, um, you know, I've tried a number of times, and this is going back to college when I was, you know, starting to get interested in Eastern philosophy through my uh, schoolwork. Um, I would try and try and you know, now I'll, I'll give it a try again here pretty soon. But it was for me, it was, um, I just, I couldn't let my thoughts go enough. And I know mm -hmm. that that's part of it is just doing that in, in allowing the thoughts to come and allowing to, you know, allowing them to go and just letting them pass through you. Um, but I'm just such a guy that gets so in my head about things anyway. I would just like, I would end up on a tangent when I'm like, oh shit, I'm supposed to just, you know, let this go and concentrate on my breath. Mm -hmm. um, and so, but that was doing it by myself. I think it might, might help to maybe join a practice, you know, doing things. Oh, totally. Stuff. Yeah. And, and the breath work is really, for me, that's when things started to change. I was doing some meditation, but then I, I, I really found the pro, the power of breathing. And it was from watching a podcast, a Joe Rogan podcast, he had Laird Hamilton on. And they talk about these monks who would go into the mountains in Tibet and, you know, through their breathing, it was like 40 degrees, they were soaking wet, they would have to build up enough internal heat to completely dry three towels that are soaking wet then you have to dry these sheets in order to pass on to the next stage and i think the record is like eight sheets that somebody has dried overnight but to think about breathing that way to create enough energy to 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 completely dry three sheets or i started using it in um uh kind of working out so as i was rowing I would start nose breathing. Mm -hmm. And so I would go longer and longer without nose breathing. This way I could still maintain the pace, but yet not physically exhaust my body. And so, you know, you think about what it can do athletic, you know, just all sorts of different things where, yeah, you get into these adrenaline places. If you can go into a nose breathing, you know, kind of, uh, or meditative kind of, uh, a spot, you can bring your heart rate down, you can calm yourself right down. So it's a, it's, it's been a nice practice for me to, um, uh, uh, when I'm distressed to be able to kind of take myself back to kind of like a centered place. So it's wild. It really is. It's a lot of fun to kind of play with. And I would highly suggest um, just even started with, I've got a little five minute meditation that I was shocked one, how quick it was and how it allowed me to be like, Oh, I could do that every day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we, I, I mean, I certainly teach a lot of breathing techniques for deescalation. Mm. Uh, when, when somebody might have, be in an elevated state or in psychosis and things like that. Um, and uh, yeah, so it, within my work, I've been, I've been working with our police department, with their crisis intervention team, um, doing trainings on this kind of stuff. And I, I, one of the ones that I've always found was um, square breathing. And this is, if you're in a mm. spot, you really need to just kind of center yourself and calm down. Um, it's, it's breathe in for four, hold for four, out for four, hold for four. Yeah. But I, I, I further that by engaging the body physically. So like, I think of the square, I think of a square, I draw it for people. And I think it's not just you're, you're hearing my voice and you're breathing, but all of a sudden you're picturing an image. And so you're like all your senses, right? So if I'm you thinking kind of, of an image yeah. and I'm also moving, all of a sudden I'm engaging all these senses, which take away from whatever that other stressor was. And I'm just centering on that breath in that That's image. Great. In that. Yeah, it's really, um, it's amazing how controlling your breath can control you in so many ways. And by, um, you know, intentionally calming it in a, in a way like that can really, um, really bring somebody down from a highly elevated state. Um, mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. really powerful stuff. Nose breathing. I wish I could. Um, I have a, my nose, let me see my, I think my nose is straight at you right now, but yeah. when I look at you straight, it's super crooked. Gotcha. Um, I have yeah, a hard yeah. time nose breathing. Um, that's, been, <laughs> that's been a tough one for me. Um, it but, is. It's, uh, it's, it's a, well, I my nose is always like stuffy. So it was really it was trying to, trying to row and nose breathe. I was like, 
I lose my breath. I was like, I can't do this, but it, uh, it eventually got to, to just be an easier and easier place. But, uh, yeah. It's yeah. Hard. I imagine you synced up with the motions you were. Yeah. I mean, you have to figure out what, what synchronicity of all that is going to work and then mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, feel it. That makes sense. But, uh, listen, Jason, man, it is, uh, it's been, you know, I feel like, well, one, we haven't talked to each other in years, so we could probably keep going for at least another hour, but, uh, you know, maybe I think that it makes sense to where we could do like a nice little follow-up. Uh, cause I've loved this conversation. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, you know, I think that it's great for other people to just also hear all of the great things that you're doing and just also know that there's, that there's right. Like, each path is, is our own and we get to make of it what we want. And so I, uh, I appreciate the fact that you've done that and that you're doing it by also just helping others. And so thank you for, for all the work that you do, not just in the food bank, but now, you know, helping people um, really when they most need it. Right. When, cause when somebody's having a, is in a place mentally that is not good for themselves, uh, you know, being able to help people in that capacity is amazing. So thank you for mm -hmm. all that you're doing, man. Yeah. Th um, thank you. And thanks for having me on. This was a lot of fun, Scott. I, uh, I felt like, yeah, I could talk to you for another hour. About this stuff, <laughs> 100%. So, um, yeah. We didn't even talk about the cool advocacy stuff. I, I know. I know. <laughs> we, yeah, no, there's a lot to catch up and just even family wise. Uh, so we'll definitely do a part, do a part two uh, for awesome. sure. Well, this Excellent. was uh, wonderful. I really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, keep up the good work on your end too, Scott. You too. Thanks, man. Cheers. Cheers.